as we have heard your word read. The Bible says, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And we ask a blessing upon the reading of this word and the, we, the word which is to be proclaimed. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have a Facebook account? Raise your hand. Quite a few. How many of you have a Twitter account? Just a few. You know, communication these days is uh, <clears throat> pretty fast, pretty easy, especially with Twitter and Facebook. I, you know, I've got a Twitter account. I profess I really don't understand it, don't use it much. I do have a Facebook account, and even the church has, has one. It's kind of one of the perks of living in the 21st century, this ability to communicate. And in fact, it's easy to communicate now from our own little world, wherever we happen to be seated, uh, to the rest of our little world in a matter of seconds. And so just by the press of a few fingers, we can communicate with hundreds of people or even thousands of people so that they know exactly what we are thinking or feeling or doing at a certain moment in time. Or if we don't have anything really profound to say, uh, we can at least post what we had for breakfast, huh? Well, it wasn't like this back in the first century uh, when the New Testament was written. The process of communication was a whole lot more difficult. I've often wondered what Paul or Peter would have done with a Learjet or what they would have done with a laptop computer or what they would have done with a Facebook account or what they would have done with email or Twitter or a whole variety of other things. I mean, imagine if they could have gone to Skype and communicated directly with churches wherever they were. You know, even sending a letter, though, back in, in the day was uh, very complicated. There was no postal service. Uh, so if you wanted to set, send a letter from one place to another place, you had to find somebody who was traveling to the place that you wanted the letter to go to. You had to talk them into taking your letter, and you had to tell them, how they could find the place where the letter was supposed to go, and you hope that when you put that letter in their hands that they actually carried that letter where they were supposed to go to the people who were supposed to get it and actually handed it off. Now, because of this, letters tended to be rather long, much longer than that usual, what do you got, 140 characters in a tweet? That's what you can do? I mean, if you were going to that much trouble to get a, a letter delivered, you took some time in writing it. Uh, your letter would probably be in several pages. And you see this in the New Testament that some of the letters that were sent out to like the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians, uh, other letters like this that Paul wrote, these were rather lengthy letters. They occupied many pages of papyrus wrapped up in scrolls, and, and they covered a lot of detail and they covered a whole lot of different topics. So since this process of sending a letter was somewhat complicated, uh, when someone went to this kind of trouble to send just this very short little letter, like these 13 verses that Kevin just read to you, you knew that this was a very important letter. You knew it wasn't just about what you had for breakfast or, you know, uh, what cute dog you saw on the side of the road. A one-page letter back in the days of Jesus was considered to be an extremely urgent message. That's why it's kind of interesting that here in the New Testament, uh, there are four such letters. They consist of just a few paragraphs. They cover less than one page, 
In fact, they would have fit on a single sheet of papyrus. And these were written by John, they were written by Paul, um, and written by Jude. And each of these deal with, well, you can see up there, very urgent topics. And it had to be with stuff that had to be dealt with and had to be dealt with right now, had to be resolved quickly, uh, things that couldn't wait for an author to write out a detailed dissertation. Most of the time, it was like, i got to get this letter, get it there as fast as can, and when you get there, then you can kind of explain some details when you're there. So today we start this new series called Urgent. Four one-page letters. And it's urgent because each one of them talks about qualities that a believer needs to develop, and they need to develop these qualities ASAP. We need to develop these things like yesterday. This is really urgent stuff. And the first letter we're going to take a look at, of course, is 2 John. It was written by the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John. It was written, as if you follow along to, I think he said, the chosen lady and to her children. And most scholars say this is probably a small little church, maybe a group of a few little house churches, uh, maybe that were actually headed up by females. And so this is kind of an open letter that was meant to be read to a whole bunch of different people, a body of believers. And so it's almost as if we could look at it and say, this letter was written to us as well. So the question is, what is the urgent message of Second John? Well, you can see by the title on the screen, it's the urgency of love. It's all about love. Love, love, love. That's what it's all about. A few points this morning. Here's our first major point. Love is the fundamental belief of the Christian faith. Now, we sometimes try to make the Christian faith about other things, and when we do that, we kind of run ahead, which is what John said, and and we end up abandoning this fundamental truth of love. I mean, John actually says if we don't love, we are not continuing in the teaching of Jesus Christ. Now, think about this. And you grow up and you are a Christian. You call yourself a Christ follower. Is love a central part of your belief system? I mean, Jesus himself made it very clear when somebody said to him one time, what is the greatest commandment? Anybody remember what he said? He he quoted the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, He said, well, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. Love God. And he said, and by the way, there's a second commandment that is similar, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. And he sums it all up, and he says, all the law and the prophets hinge on these two commandments. In other words, if you are not loving God, love, 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 love God, and you are not loving, you know, love, 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 love all these other people, Somehow you've missed out on the whole point of your belief system. So what he's really saying is, you want a summary of your Christian life? It's this. Love God, love others, love yourself. Now, some of you can remember back in the 60s and into the 70s, we used to sing a song, and they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. Okay. Don't sing that much anymore, but 
We sing songs like, love makes the world go around. What this world needs is love, sweet love. You know, all, all these love songs. Uh, we sang it because that's what Jesus said in John 13, 35. He said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I remember being in a church a number of years ago where it was pretty apparent from pulling onto the property, walking into the church and sitting in the midst of a congregation that these people not only didn't like each other, I'm pretty sure that a lot of them didn't particularly love other people in this church. It was palpable. I don't know why I thought of a word like that. What's palpable even mean? Oh, it means you could feel it. I mean, you could, it was in the air. Love was not in the air, like that song says. But there was animosity in the air. You could feel it. And so I think about this passage when it says, all men will know that you're my disciples. Well, I couldn't sense any love in that place, which kind of led me to believe that perhaps these were not faithful disciples. I don't want to make a judgment on whether they were saved or not, but maybe they weren't very faithful. See, if you have been toying with any equation of spirituality that doesn't begin with and end with the doctrine of love, somehow you kind of miss the mark. Uh, because Christianity is first and last all about love. Uh, that's why John said in verse 5, And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the very beginning. I ask that we love one another. Now, I should just comment that we have such a distorted view of love today in our society, it's it almost enough to make a person barf. Uh, you know, because you know nobody would ever think about saying they love somebody because that kind of implies that you're boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. And I can tell you, even yet today, one of the greatest things I ever hear is every time I talk to my 23-year-old grandson, who will end the conversation, no matter what it's about, by saying, I love you, Grandpa. Now, there are many different levels of love. I mean, we've got everything, of course, from that eros love, that erotic love, the love between a husband and his wife. We've also got that uh, philia love, the love between friends. Like, remember, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Uh, we've also got uh, storge love, which is kind of that rough-and-tumble love that you have between family members. But then there's also this agape love, which is the love Jesus has that he tells us we should have, where we would even be willing to lay down our life as he did for other people. So it shouldn't be very hard for us to say to somebody, I love you and to feel good about it, and to practice it. I mean, love for a Christian ought to be fundamental. It is supreme. It ought to be a way of life, that we ought to be able to say we love one another. Now, does that mean we need to like everything the other person does? Absolutely not. I mean, I, 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 can, I can look at these three girls here in front, and in all honesty, I could say to you, I love you girls, but there will probably come times when I don't particularly like what you do. you believe that? You better. <laughs> you ought to see them look like deer in the headlights over here. <laughs> but I'm not telling you anything your parents probably haven't told you either. It doesn't say we have to like stuff people do. But it says we need to love them nonetheless. That's the first part. Here's the second thing we see in here. And that is that love and obedience go hand in hand. Verse 6 says, and this is love, that we walk in obedience 
to his commands. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to walk hands in hands with me this morning uh, or anything. But, you know, obedience is really an intimidating word. Uh, because often we associate obedience with certain behaviors, like things we're not supposed to do. In fact, when we talk about obedience, a lot of people always look upon that word as kind of a negative word. Oh, we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't do this. No, that's too limiting. Uh, walking in obedience is, is much bigger. Uh, obedience is not just walking in a straight line, like Okay, be obedient and, and go here, don't do this, don't do that, don't veer off the track, all of that kind of nonsense. But rather, obedience is how you treat other people. Do you ever realize that? If you're going to be obedient to the love of God, it is followed by being obedient and loving. Listen again to verse 6. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I remember as a senior at, at, at Concordia Teachers College back in Seward, Nebraska, I was taking a language arts class at the end, and my professor, Professor Blomenberg, said, anybody here know what the word Concordia means? I thought, oh man, I'd gone four years to Concordia High School, I went four years to Concordia Teachers College, I didn't have the vaguest idea what Concordia meant. And he said, how about you, bright boy? And I turned around to see who he was pointing to. And I realized he's pointing to me. He says, uh, I, I, I gave this answer, humming, humming, humming. <laughs> anyway, he says, get up here. I'm going to pick on Kate. Get up here. Okay, stand over here by me. Here. This is Concordia. What, what does this mean? Walking hand in hand. That's what Concordia is. Now, you just graduated from where? And so now do you know what Concordia means? What does it mean? There you go. Walking hand. I'm glad you added the last part. In love. So I didn't have to correct you. Okay, you're right. That, 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 that's, that's what I mean. Now, we think holiness and obedience is all about doing do's and don'ting don'ts. Not doing don'ts. Make that a little bit better English. We get so obsessed with grading ourselves, and it becomes all about me and whether I, what I'm doing and, and whether or not I'm making a passing grade. And, and the rest of the world we could care less about uh, because the only thing that really matters is what? Me. Am I doing good? Am I doing right? But real obedience goes way down below the do's and the don'ts. If you're walking that thin line of holiness and you're doing it with an attitude of condescension towards everybody, like, oh, no, you know, I, I, I've got to actually love Maddie. You know, with that, that line of condescension, uh, you're not really walking in love, and you're not really being obedient to the command of love. That's because love and obedience go hand in hand. Anytime people ever say to me, oh, I don't love that person, I'm sorry, but my blunt response is, you don't have any choice if you're a believer. If you, if you call yourself a believer, you don't have any choice. And those words ought never to come out of your mouth, that you don't love somebody. If you are a Christ follower, obedience calls for love. It calls for you to walk in concord with other people, hand in hand, concordia. Walk together in love. 
It's never either or. It's always both and. Now, here's the third point. The third point is this. Love up close is better than love at a distance. Makes sense, I suppose. Uh, John said in verse 12, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Uh, about six o'clock tonight, I will be back in prison for a week. My parole has once more been revoked. And uh, when I walk into the ranch house tonight, I am going to get a big hug from Big Lou and Hop Singh and, and Gary and Chris. And these are guys that I regularly communicate via paper. And it's kind of nice to get letters from somebody. It's kind of nice to get emails from somebody who lives far away. But it's also so much better when you can communicate with them face to face. I'm going to use Susanna here just as an example. Susanna is going to have a baby today. And you picked a great day for a baby's birthday. Right, Dee? It's a wonderful day, September the 16th, to have a birthday. You have been thinking about this baby. You've been praying about this baby. You have been painting for this baby. You have been buying stuff for this baby. You just, it's all out there. But sometime tonight, around who knows when, you will see that little baby face to face. And everything is going to be so much better. I guarantee it. Verse 12, I have so much to write to you, don't want to use paper ink, face to face. It's the personal nature of the Christian life. See, the road to discipleship is not traveled by way of books and tapes and podcasts and TV preachers, I mean, all of which are, are okay things, but the most powerful moments in, your, in a Christian life is really done face to face. I mean, could you imagine having two iPods or iPads sitting face to face with each other here up on the top? And, in, and we had Skype on both of them. And on one Skype page was the groom, and on the other one was the bride. And we did a wedding where they just looked at each other through space and got married. Now, I'm not saying that you probably couldn't do a wedding that way, but I just think how terribly impersonal. That would be how much better it is. Believe me, I've stood up in front of, of couples for 25 plus years, and I've, I've seen them look at one another eye to eye, and there's more you can see in those eyes of love at that time, close up, than you could possibly ever see by looking at a picture. You know, I've had a lot of wonderful worship experiences in my life that I've done in solitude where I've been all alone in my car and I turn on the message and I'm singing along with the song. They've been absolutely wonderful. Uh, this morning I, I punched in YouTube and I punched in the last uh, song we're doing this morning and I, I, I sang along with it. It was a wonderful time of personal worship. But i got to tell you, some of the absolutely greatest worship experiences, though, I've ever had is when I've been able to be together with other people. And to see their faces and to listen to them sing and to see the joy and the love of Jesus in their eyes. And so John is saying that he wants us to do more than just words. He said, I want to see you face to face. And he tells us why. Because face to face makes our joy complete. 
I mean, today, thanks to technology, of course, we can communicate with people all the way around the world instantly. I spoke to a couple of missionaries the other day using FaceTime who live in Kenya. Wonderful to be able to catch up with them. But it'll be so much nicer in a couple of weeks when they're back in the States and I'll see them in Rockwall, Texas and be able to, you know, give them a hug. Uh, it's almost the same as being there, something like that, but it's not the same. See, you and I were created to be in community. Uh, we're made for personal contact with each other. I mean, God isn't looking for a whole bunch of little individuals who will love him and serve him. What he wants is these individuals to come together and to love each other and to serve each other. That's because love is the be-all and the end-all for Christians. That's our most fundamental belief and our highest command. Now, John said in a previous letter, when he wrote First John, he wrote these words, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. I often ask couples at a wedding, you know, they, a lot of times they like the scripture reading from 1 Corinthians 13 that ends up with, so faith, hope, and love, these three remain, but the greatest of these is love. The question is, what is so great about love? You know, and they kind of look at each other like, I don't know. Well, the answer is very simple. I'm going to tell you what is so great about love. I just read it to you. God is love. That's what is so great about love. Whoever does not love does not know God. I don't know if you can make that any clearer because God is love. That's why this little message was so amazingly urgent. He said, I got to tell you these, I got to tell you folks, his command is that you learn to walk hand in hand in love with other people. Now, there's a little bit more urgency in this message. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it has to do with an urgent belief in Jesus Christ. In the first century, there are a whole lot of people who were taking Christianity and trying to mess it up. Uh, they were trying to make Christianity about something other than love. For example, we talked about this today in adult Bible study. There were these groups that called the Judaizers who really told people, if you were a real believer, you had to believe in Jesus and be circumcised. You know, to be a believer, you had to follow a certain number of laws. And Paul has a lot to say about that in his letters. Also in the first century, there's another group of people, they call them the Gnostics. G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. For you, probably Gnostics, but the Gnostics. And uh, they believed that your spirit was good, uh, all matter was evil, uh, therefore Jesus could not possibly be both God and man, but that Jesus was actually some sort of a spirit who only seemed to be uh, human, and that all Scripture is a really deep, deep book, and you have to have some sort of special knowledge in order to be able to figure it all out. And so John comes along and says, don't let these people hijack your faith. Don't listen to them. Don't give them a platform on which to proselytize. They're not teaching the truth to you about Jesus. They've abandoned the gospel message. Now, what is the gospel message? I happen to wear a tie today with the gospel message on it. Can you even read what that says on there? And it comes from? John 
the so-called gospel in a nutshell. There it is. Just read it to us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So the gospel in a word is love. I mean, there are people who will try to make it about politics. There are people who try to make it about financial prosperity. They will try to hijack the gospel and talk about um, uh, cultural wars or distort the message of Jesus to suit their own agenda or to justify their own hate or their own tolerance. And friends, anytime you see any of that stuff coming, I mean, hit the roads, Jack. Go the opposite direction. Instead, we are called to do what? Walk hand in hand with one another in love to proclaim this original biblical gospel message that Jesus Christ came into this world to save us from our sins and to give us a brand new life in him. And he has called us not only to live in love, but to take this message of love to a lost world that's so desperately searching for love. So I guess the message today is, let us love one another. Now, how do we practice this? Well, there are probably a thousand different ways we can do it, but I am going to wrap it all up in one simple little prayer as we close. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us love others as you have loved us, so that each person we meet today or tomorrow and the next week or the next month as a sense of your great love for them. Thank you for your love that you've shown for us. May we show it to others. In Jesus' name, amen.